Welcome, everybody. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, like Ryan said, we are starting our new series on the life of King David. It's going to be a short one, only five weeks. Uh, but tonight, we're going to get a look at our introduction into who King David is. We're going to look at the anointing of a young King David. Uh, this story, all the stories of King David are found in either First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings. For this series, we're going to be camping out in First and Second Samuel, just picking a few stories. Um, and so, our first one is in the book of First Samuel. So, if you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever, we're going to be in First Samuel 16. While you're flipping there, I'm going to give you, give you a little bit of a context where we're at. Um, so this book takes place in a pretty important and pivotal time in Israelite history. Uh, what's happened recently in the book is we're introduced to Samuel, who obviously the book is named after. Uh, and Samuel is a prophet of God. He's a judge of Israel. So just kind of like this righteous, spiritual leader of the people group of Israel. Uh, one of the responsibilities that was put on Samuel uh, as a prophet of the Lord was to anoint the first king of Israel and bring a kingship to the nation. So Israel didn't have a king like the surrounding nations around them and they complained and they whined because they wanted a king in person like the nations around them. God told them that he was their king and they didn't need one and they weren't happy with that, which is like, seems like the stupidest thing ever. Like, why would you not be happy with God as your king? But God gives them what they asked for and he gives them their first king by a man named Saul. And Saul was a great king for a few chapters in the book. Uh, he looked great, but his heart was just not in the right place. And uh, he kind of got a little bit passive. He got a little bit lazy in his leadership and just his zeal for the Lord, which eventually leads him to just disobeying God. It wasn't like he didn't do anything crazy. He just didn't necessarily fulfill all the things that God asked him to do. And so God tells him he's gonna rip the kingship away from him. So Saul loses his privileges of being king, but that wouldn't happen right away. It took, took a little bit of time. But when God tells him that he's ripping the kingship away from him, he says, the Lord has found a man after his own heart. And a little bit later he says, the Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you which is pretty harsh. Saul gets a little bit uh, angry and upset. He kind of becomes like evil. The spirit of the Lord is taken away from him. And then we end up at our story today, which is the anointing of a young King David. So we're going to get into the story. You guys with me? Ready to go? Feeling good? Yes? Okay, cool. Uh, what we're going to see based on the anointing of this young king is this. Here's our big idea. If you're taking notes, here it is. The beloved of the Lord are often the rejected of men. They're often raised in obscurity and they are clothed in humility. Okay, and I wanna start this off by saying, if you're in the room tonight and you feel a little bit of rejection in your life, maybe it's from your friends, your family, maybe your job is pushing you away a little bit, maybe you feel like God himself is in a little bit of way rejecting you. You just, you feel a little bit down. Or maybe uh, you feel like you're in this rut of obscurity, which means like your life's a little bit ambiguous right now. Things look murky. You're like, you, you don't know why, but you're just like doubting God and life is just a little bit uncomfortable tonight. If that's you, first of all, that's okay. But second, you're in good company tonight. 
okay? Because we're gonna see that the Lord's anointed, the man after God's own heart, King David himself, was chosen right in the middle of these things. He was rejected. He was in a murky and like unclear time of his life. So you're in good company. Uh, We're gonna read the entire passage. We're just gonna be in 1 Samuel 16, verses one through 13, and then we'll pick it apart after that. So starting in verse one. And I'm also gonna be reading in the NLT. I don't usually do that, but I really liked this translation. So reading from the NLT, it says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you've mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Which is like hilarious because imagine like the police come to your door and they're just like, hey, and you're like, what's wrong? Like, even if you haven't done anything wrong, you're still like, in a little bit, in a weird way, you're like scared a little bit. Like, Samuel's not doing anything. He just shows up and they're like freaked out. Do you come in peace, they say. Samuel says, yes, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Point number one, the beloved of the Lord are often the rejected of men. Okay, the beloved of the Lord are often the rejected of men. So like I said earlier, you may be here as one of those whom God has looked at from the beginning of time, before you're even born, and he has looked at you with an eye of love, pure love, pure satisfaction and delight and joy from the beginning of time. Yet that can be true, but also you cannot feel that at all. You can feel like your family, your friends, whatever, that they've overlooked and forgotten you. Like I said, you're in good company tonight because King David was right in that same place with you. The beloved of the Lord are often the rejected of men. So, I mean, if we think about this situation, it's absolutely ridiculous that David wasn't even there when Samuel came by to pick from Jesse's sons for the kings. I mean, first of all, he is actually a son. So why would 
Jesse not invite his son if he knew? He's like, hey, bring your sons. One of them's gonna be king. Why would David not be there? Typically, the father of the family has more love for a son than anybody else ever. And in this time, especially the youngest son. I mean, if you think about the story of Joseph, right? Joseph's coat of many colors, like he's the youngest. He's absolutely the delight and joy of the family. And his father loves him so much, he's like giving him this coat that says, you're my clear favorite. And his brothers end up selling him into slavery because they're so jealous of the great love that their father has for him. That, that was common, like to, for the youngest son to be the favorite. And even more, imagine this, like the prophet of Israel, the judge of Israel at the time, is coming to your family with a cow to kill for a feast. That's like an important person, and you don't get invited. Like you would think that if there's any time for your family to get together and convene for like family time, it would be when the prophet of the Lord comes to pick a king from one of your family. But David doesn't even get invited. Like he's completely overlooked. And his dad says he's out hanging out with the sheep. And do you know why he was overlooked? It's because for a fact, humans judge other humans on a flawed system. Like that's just how it is. Humans judge other humans on a flawed system. We look at the looks of them, uh, the skills they have, their appearances, words, basically anything and everything except for the one thing that God actually looks at, which is the heart. The reason that David was overlooked is because people were looking at him from a wrong lens and you might be in the same boat tonight. Like perhaps people are overlooking you, they're forgetting you. You're being in a way rejected because of unrighteous reasons. Like people aren't looking at the heart like God looks at. Men judge on the wrong standards. We judge on literally everything we see and nothing else. I mean, even God's prophet got this wrong. Like, don't think that this was just like a bunch of like sinful guys. No, Samuel comes along and he, what's he do? He takes, it says one look at Eliab and he's like, surely, which I'm pretty sure surely means like, without a doubt, I like, I know this is the Lord's anointed. And God like stops him right there. He's like, no, you, you're looking at the wrong things. God kind of like rebukes him, sets him in his place at that point. God does not see things the way we do. He doesn't operate the same way we do. He knows hearts. He knows the depths of hearts. He sees every single little thing. He knows you fully and he truly does love you fully. And if you've been overlooked or forgotten tonight, I, I want you to believe you're not alone in that. Not only because great men before you have been in that same position, but because God sees you and he's with you and he loves you. Many times the beloved of the Lord are the rejected of men. Point number two, the beloved of the Lord are often raised in obscurity. The beloved of the Lord often raised in obscurity. So I want to take a look at uh, where David was coming from and then what happened after uh, his anointing. So first, where he's coming from. Uh, some people a lot smarter than me think that David was like 20 years old at this time. I don't know. Some people have said like that he was 10. Some people have said he's like 25. Regardless, we're going to say he's 20 years old. I mean, I'm going to take a good guess. A lot of you in this room are very close to 20 years old. 
So you would be aware, if this was you, you'd be aware of what's happening if your father didn't invite you to like the biggest thing of your family's history. You don't get invited, that hurts, that stings, like you feel that. You're not just like a little child where you don't really understand what's going on. David gets it, and I think it's like, like cut him pretty deep. So obscurity, it's not really like a popular word, but I think that, sorry, I think that it uh, perfectly describes the situation that David's in. And there's two definitions I wanna go off of. The first one says uh, that obscurity is a state of being unknown or unimportant. And the second one is obscurity is a thing that is unclear or just difficult to understand. Like I said, I think this like perfectly sums up where David's at in his life. I mean, what's he do? Every day he wakes up and he checks on the sheep. He like makes sure that they drink water and eat grass. Cause like if they keep eating grass, they like don't know where else to go. He has to like kind of guide them. They're like the dumbest animals ever. And he's like, his responsibility, his role is that he takes care of them. They're his responsibility. I don't, it's not too far-fetched to think like that their family probably had a servant or like a helper who probably could have taken care of the sheep. But no, for whatever reason, the youngest son, typically like the token of the family, is out watching the sheep doing the dirty work. He's probably bored. I mean, as you or I would be if we're like sitting out in a grassland all day, like helping sheep eat grass. That's why he like had his harp, right? Or his lyre, he's like really good at making music. And he, I'm sure was like practicing his sling that he would eventually kill Goliath with. Uh, he's probably just like sitting around, right? Like bored. This is an obscure time. His, his life, he's unknown. His life feels unimportant. And I'm sure he didn't fully understand why his life was turning out the way it was. But one thing I think he did understand that I'm gonna try and illustrate is the condition of his heart. I don't know anything about sailboats, but I always thought that uh, you couldn't like sail a sailboat into the wind, but actually it turns out you can. Did anybody know that? <laughs> Zach, thank you, yes. Um, so what's actually true is that it's the set of the sail and not the gale that determines the way you'll go. That's cheesy, I know, but a gale's like wind. So it's the way you set the sail into the wind that determines which way you'll go. Even if it's coming at you, you can set it in a way that propels you forward. In other words, it's not the circumstances of your life, but your heart attitude towards God that determines the way you'll go. Your circumstances may be obscure. They may be murky and cloudy and like not pleasant. But how is your heart in these issues? Even if David didn't know why these things were happening to him, his heart was in the right place. He was responding to God in a right way. Your life may be full of obscurity, like loneliness, it's uncomfortable, it's the summer, things are weird. You're in good company. Set your heart right and focus on the sails of where your heart is going. And here's a truth that's like pretty hard to understand. I, I believe it's true, even though I haven't like fully grasped this in my life, but sometimes God allows terrible things to happen in your life. Like terrible circumstances, something bad happens, but those things are not for nothing. They actually turn out for good. And David, I know this for a fact, David would not be the king he was, he wouldn't be the man he was if he did not have his time in the pasture, 
if he did not experience his time in obscurity. He didn't view his time as just waiting time with the sheep. It wasn't waiting time, it was training time for David. He was like focusing his heart, making sure it's in the right place. So that's before his anointing, then his anointing happens. So what happens after David, after he gets anointed from his brothers, all this? Not a whole lot. He actually just goes back into the pasture. He wouldn't take the kingship for 10 years. So he like knows that something's going on, like the Holy Spirit's on him, but he doesn't actually see his kingship come to fruition for 10 years. God is still molding him and all this waiting and obscurity and murky living would end up forging David into the humble king after God's own heart that he was meant to be. And that's where we're gonna go for our last point. Point number three is the beloved of the Lord are clothed in humility. The beloved of the Lord are clothed in humility. So if you take a look at the book of Psalms, many of them are written by King David. They're like the meditations and the songs of his heart that he just like couldn't help but keep in. So he's writing them, singing them. And you won't find an ounce of pride in the Psalms. I mean, what you find is true, rich, full humility. And what we'd see in David's life is that no one would rise higher before God and no one would bow lower. Like, David's humility, God ended up using that to exalt him higher than any other man besides Christ, obviously. And he would be the one who would bow the lowest and have the greatest amount of humility. He sang and he danced and he worshiped constantly. He actually like humiliated himself with like how genuinely he worshiped God. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. If we take a look at just one of these psalms that David wrote, Psalm 23, that's like probably the most famous psalm ever. Uh, I'm assuming he wrote this just sitting in the pasture land, like waiting around, and he's thinking about God in this time where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. So David's putting himself in the place of a sheep. Like he sees how dumb and dependent and like, dumb these animals are. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, compared to God, I truly am a sheep, and he's my shepherd. And he's like, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And I'm sure David came across a few stubborn sheep in his days. Like, he knows those sheep who, even though David's trying to help them find the water and, like, find this new fresh grass that they're like stubborn, they don't wanna go. David's saying, no, I get the privilege of God leading me to these things. This is, those are not the, that's not the outflow of a prideful man. That's the outflow of a truly humble man. Pride doesn't allow for a true right relationship with God. It, it literally blinds you to like seeing the correct picture of who God is. I mean, David could have said, he's like, Man, I deserve to be king. Like, wh why, is, why didn't my father even invite me to the, to the biggest feast of our family's history? I cannot believe my dad. And Eliab, really? Like, Eliab, he thinks Eliab's gonna be a better king than I would? Like, what does he know? And if we were like David's friend, we probably would've been like, yeah, man, that's totally correct. We would've been encouraging him in like this, uh, in like his complaints to God. But true humility submits itself under the mighty hand of God. 
and it believes, like maybe actually God does know what he's doing with my life. Maybe his plans actually are probably better than mine. A heart of pride doesn't trust God. And the beloved of the Lord are clothed in humility. So what is true humility? It's not just like degrading yourself, like, man, I'm so stupid, and man, I'm, I'm so not cool. It's like, that's not what true humility is. It's just getting a correct view of yourself before God. Like, really, truly meditating and thinking about who you are as you stand before God and who God is. Those things lead to true humility. So how do we gain this humility? If we can easily see the first two points in our life, it's like easy to point out the rejection in your life, it's easy to point out the obscurity in your life. How do we gain this third one and get a closer, truer relationship to God through a humble heart? It's a simple but long process. I'm not gonna say easy, I'm gonna say it's a simple process but it takes a long time. Three things. It's remembering the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, receiving the grace that he offers you, and repenting from your sins. How do you gain humility in your life? You remember and you meditate and you think about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. You receive the grace that he offers you and you repent from your sins. So, I mean, one of the ways we can do that right now is we can actually remember the life of Jesus and compare it to the incredible prototype that David was. Like his whole life, there's so many things we could think about on how David points us to Christ and we're gonna look at five of them real quick. The first one is that David and Jesus were both anointed. David was anointed with olive oil in front of his family to be king and Jesus was anointed with his baptism in front of everybody. They had this public anointing. Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove, right? Everybody saw this. Next thing is they both lived out their anointings. So King David would end up going on to kill Goliath. He would lead a nation. He would end up becoming a great king. He lived up to his anointing as the king. Jesus would perform miracles. He would walk on water. He would raise dead men to life. He would do a million other things that lived up to his anointing as God's one and only son. They both would be conflicted with their enemies so Saul ended up persecuting the, Saul, uh, the king Saul that uh, the kingship was torn away from him. He hated David. He would persecute him, trying to kill him many times. And Jesus Christ would come and be pitted against the very people, his own people that he came to save. They would, they would put themselves in conflict with Christ. Both these men were outcasts. David was ousted by his own son, Absalom. He would take the throne from him and David would be an outcast and Jesus Christ would be outcast by his own father as he hung on the cross. I mean, as he's dying on the cross, he's bloody, you can barely tell that he's even a man. His father looks away and like treats him like an outcast. But the best part is that both these men would end up being crowned. King David would get the crown. He would be king throughout a very tough life. And Jesus Christ is still king today. He's alive and well. He's waiting for us with open arms. Do you guys believe that? Jesus Christ is the king. Like, he's actually, like, I think you need to think, he's actually alive and he's actually in charge and he's wearing a crown on his head. 
You guys can't forget the crown. We cannot afford to forget the crowning of King David, of Jesus Christ, and of you and me. Because one day, if you believe in Christ and you put your faith in him, you will receive a crown in heaven. One that we did not deserve, but that says, you actually get to reign with Christ now. That when Jesus comes back for his children and his creation to judge the world once and for all, we will be judged with favor. Like not anger, not disappointment, actual favor. And like be told, good job, here's your crown. And you get to keep it. We'll eventually just throw it at Jesus' feet because he's so worthy of it. But you guys have no idea. I have no idea of the amount of glory that's gonna surround us in that moment that we will be actually like Christ because we will see him as he truly is. He's in heaven right now, alive, preparing this place for us. He promised us that, and I promise you, every single thing Jesus Christ promised on this earth is gonna be fulfilled. So why fear? Like, why give so much attention? Why despise the rejection you're facing? Like the obscurity that's in your life. It's, it's meeting you for a moment. I know it feels like a lifetime because it is a lifetime to us. In reality, these things are just a moment. And I promise you that to those who are truly clothed with humility, whose faith is in Christ, once you see Christ for a single second, all these things, I mean, they mean nothing. Like the rejection that's crushing you means nothing. The obscurity that's like clouding your vision means nothing. And you will be fully known and fully loved by the king. David knew that this awaited him and then he ended up dying and now he's reigning with Christ and it awaits you and I tonight with open arms. The same reality. If you've not accepted Christ and like, put your down payment on this crown. Like if you, if you believe in Christ, you put your faith in him, that crown's waiting for you. It's got your name on it and you're gonna get it one of these days. If, that, if you haven't done that, I'm begging you to put your faith in Christ. Like put your deposit down and get your crown because one day we will throw them at Jesus' feet with joy because he's so worthy of it. Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's so crazy to think about the parallels between King David, your anointed one that you chose out of rejection and obscurity, Lord, from the pasture fields, and how much his story ended up looking like your son's. And Lord, your son came to this earth with the sole purpose of reconciling us to you. Lord, we blew it, we messed it up, we brought sin into this world, but oh, how glorious you are for saving us from our sins. God, we enjoy thinking about this and talking about this. I pray that our summers will be marked by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ, that it doesn't matter that we blew it because you took the price. You took it on yourself and you hung it on the cross and it is for us no more. Lord, but you offer us eternity with you. We thank you for that and it's in your name we pray, amen.